Welcome back to DevCast. Uh, and I think this is the last DevCast in the spring for me. And uh, after that is some kind of vacation and a Swedish summer that I hope will arrive soon because we haven't had the most cold Swedish uh, spring in over 20, uh, 20 years, I think. And this time we will talk about the new browser that we have, the, the browser called, formerly called Spartan, but now it's called Edge. And I have a really interesting guy from the state, Ray Banco, here to talk and help me understand why we should do a new browser and what's the difference between the old browser, Internet Explorer. So welcome, Ray. Hey, welcome. Uh, thank you, Dag. I appreciate you inviting me. And um, I can say that in South Florida, where I live, it's it's definitely very hot. I, yeah, I will <laughs> trade course. you some of that cold weather for some of my hot weather. And I think we meet in the middle and everybody's very happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I would travel to, to France and there it would be a, a bit more hotter uh, next week. So, But we have a very <laughs> co cold uh, spring this year. We have still the, the winter clothes on and that's very <laughs> uncommon in, in June. No, I will be going scuba diving on Saturday. That's that's how warm it is here. So <laughs> okay, Ray, what's your position in Microsoft and the position to talk about Microsoft Edge? Sure. So I'm a developer advocate at Microsoft, and my focus is on web developers, web standards, and of course our browsers, and that includes Internet Explorer and of course our new browser, Microsoft Edge. And um, so it's actually a very exciting time because developers have really wanted Microsoft to have a modern experience. They wanted a browser that is updated on a very fast cadence, and that's what we're. And then, of course, having great features, and that's what we're we're looking to provide in Microsoft Edge. So it's every every bit of feedback I received so far has been great from developers. They're very happy about that. I was uh, a bit surprised when I heard about that we we should do a new new browser. Uh, could you be uh, could you tell us a bit about the 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 work behind that decision? Sure. So, um, you know, the the Internet Explorer has has been a uh, and overall it's been a very good browser. It, I know that the older versions cause developers some some angst, and I get it because uh, the the update cycles that we used to have were very long, and that meant that some features didn't get updated properly or in a timely fashion. Um, but when you got to Internet Explorer 11, Internet Explorer 11 was a very, very well-built browser. It had a lot of great modern features. And I think what happened was that you had developers um, suffering from what I liked to call old IE PTSD. And they were suffering from this trauma that they really didn't put a lot of effort looking at Internet Explorer 11 offer. And in many cases, it's just simply assumed that it was just part of the old IE uh, legacy that we had, and it's not. I mean, even even if you started looking at IE9 and IE10, there were a lot of great features in there that developers just didn't know about. And and that that type of lack of knowledge is something that um, that we that that we should take responsibility for because it's our responsibility to educate the developers and make sure that they know that all these great features were in Internet Explorer. And in fact, uh, this year, that's one of the things that I'm trying to do, work with developers to make sure that they they have the most relevant information about the our web browsers so they can make great decisions about supporting Internet Explorer but also migrating, uh, migrating to Microsoft Edge. Now, when, uh, you know, 
you come to a point, I think, where you have so much legacy code included in, in products that you kind of have to make a decision to start clean. And if you think about it, Internet Explorer is a 20-year-old browser. Uh, try to put that in context. Think about what I've just said. It's a 20-year-old browser. There are, there are web developers that are just coming into the industry that that didn't even had never used Internet Explorer at that time, or at least some of those older versions. And you know, earlier in our, when we first started talking, Doug, you you mentioned that you started in IE4. Think about the number of developers that never even looked at IE4, or you know, IE55 or IE6. You know, there's a lot of legacy cruft in there. That, um, you know, it was it, it's it just needed to kind of be redone. And so what the the engineering team did was they looked at what what intellectual property they had. What is the foundation that they could start from? And then how can they get rid of all that legacy stuff that was no longer necessary for a modern web browser? And they stripped out all this stuff. Things that just really weren't relevant. Uh, things like proprietary features, whether you're talking about, um, I don't know, like uh, conditional comments or you're talking about uh, some of the proprietary aspects of of the engine, like I don't know, attach event and things like that. They took it all out and they said, let's just focus on what what the web standards is about. And so they took the baseline foundation, started building on that, and creating a browser that they could then focus on for the future. And I think it was the right decision. And I think developers are incredibly excited by that. They're they're excited by the prospect the the possibility of having a, a browser that is going to be evergreen, that's going to have new features and it's going to be updated regularly. And that's that's really exciting. They they want to get to a point where they don't have to wait a year for an update to come around. They want a regular update cadence. They want to know that Microsoft is part of the standards process and they want to know that Microsoft is providing a good platform to deliver uh, awesome experiences on. But Ray, I, I understand that uh, it could be good to, to have a new browser starting from scratch, but 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 couldn't we do it like that we have two render engines in the same browser and so on? So we actually started it down that route, and that's a great question. And um, the initial thought process was to have two, two engines and uh, have MSHTML, which is basically Trident, the original um, rendering engine that we have been using for, for years. And also, and then have Edge HTML.dll, which would be the new rendering engine that that's now in Microsoft Edge. And it, the thought process behind that was to have this browser that could handle any type of scenario that could um, that could serve up both the old legacy stuff as well as the new modern stuff. And what we encountered was a lot of compatibility issues. It's not it, even though it sounds easy. To say we're going to create this car and then we're gonna we're gonna have it powered by two different engines that will switch, let's say, based on how steep your hill is or how fast you want to go. My um, hybrid car do that, so my yeah, two also. So. <laughs> yeah, the but your hybrid car has one engine and it's designed explicitly for that. The having if your hybrid car had two engines, now you're increasing the overall complexity of how your car would run. And that's what ended up happening in this scenario. And it's the reason we decided to make a clean break. We wanted to make a clean break too, so that we can focus on the modern aspects of a web browser without having to worry about all the stuff that we had as legacy cruft. 
we didn't want to be held back. Um, and that's and that's important. And developers have asked us not not to hold them back. The only way that we were eight, we got to the point where we said we can't hold people back is by making a clean break, and 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 basically moving forward with Microsoft Edge. And I think it's the right decision. Now, what's what's planned is that both Microsoft Edge and Internet Explorer 11 will ship with Windows 10. Because we know that some customers will continue to have legacy apps in some fashion that they're going to need to run. The default browsing experience will continue to be Microsoft Edge. We want that front and center. We want developers to know that. And we also want end users to have the best possible browsing experience. And that's why Microsoft Edge will be the default browsing experience. But in some cases, there are requirements, even governmental requirements, for things like ActiveX controls. I mean, I, I... Japan and Korea are great examples of countries where if you want to do financial transactions on your PC, there's a requirement for ActiveX controls. Um, there's nothing that can be done. It's not. This is not a browser switching scenario. This is a fact of life where you have uh, a countries who are mandating specific technologies to do your basic financial transactions. So you might, you know, when you do your online banking, you take it for granted that SSL is going to work great for you. And that, and I think most of the people do, and that's I do it. In countries like like Korea, SSL is not the technology they use for for that type of online banking. They have actual ActiveX controls mandated by the government. But, so, but but Ray, if um, I have a friends that say that now we have I have a new browser I need to test also. So my world has been more. We have done the web developers' world more complicated now. No, actually, we haven't. We've simplified it, and I'll tell you why. Because the the Internet Explorer of old had all the legacy things that you had to be concerned about. And bottom line is that we expect that once Microsoft Edge comes out, we're going to see a drastic adoption of it among Windows users. You have to keep in mind this. We are sending out Windows 10 as a free upgrade to anybody on Windows 7, 8, and 8.1. And we announced, you know, we announced our end of support life cycles for, I mean, back in August. It's not like we're going to continue to support IE7 and IE8 indefinitely. We've announced end of support for that. So we're proactively trying to push customers along. Now, if your customers are requiring, I guess this is the way I'm looking at it. If you're a web developer and your customers are asking you to support a specific version of a browser, whether it's Firefox 4 whether it's Internet Explorer 7 or 8, or whether it's a modern browser, well, then that's what your customers are asking for. So you as a developer should be more concerned about ensuring that you support what your customers are asking for. And that's that's something that I'm, I'm a big advocate of. And, and, when I, and I used to work at Mozilla. So I, I'm, I, I understand what developers want. And I understand the open source community very well. But at the same time, I also understand that customers have specific needs. And as developers, it's our job to support those needs. And there's ways of doing that. There's things like progressive enhancement, which allow you to provide really good experiences, maybe a little bit degraded for older browsers, while still being able to take advantage of modern features. There's feature detection. A lot of developers don't even bother to do feature detection. And I don't know why. It could be any number of reasons. But you should be doing feature detection to make sure you can take advantage of the new shiny stuff. 
And in terms of having another browser to support, one of the things that we've really focused on in Microsoft Edge is interoperability to the point that even certain WebKit vendor prefixes, things that were designed to be for experimental features, which developers themselves took upon it, took upon it themselves to incorporate into production systems, we've now, based on telemetry that we've taken, put that into MS Edge to increase interoperability. So what I'm saying is that we've taken steps to make sure that in MS Edge, you're going to have a modern browser that you can depend on with standards. We've taken steps to include things that increase interoperability, including things like Dash WebKit vendor prefixes. And we're, we're trying to make that the browser of choice going forward. Will there be customers and users on older versions of IE for a while? Yeah, I, you know, that's, it's the user's choice to decide which browser they want to go on. But I think in the, in the near future, what's going to happen is you're going to see the, uh, a large increase of Microsoft Edge users versus Internet Explorer, especially when the free Windows 10 upgrade starts rolling out. We should talk about standards. But, but before that, I want to ask you, why couldn't we have used WebKit, for example? Uh, you know, it, that's, a, that's a question that everybody asks. And I have my own opinion on it. So first of all, I'll, I'll tell you why we didn't use WebKit internally. And just so you know, we actually considered it. This is not, I mean, we, we've publicly said that we actually looked at whether WebKit was viable and we felt that it wasn't. The amount of work that it would have taken to take, put WebKit into our browser and run with it and ensure compatibility, it wasn't, there was no, there was no cost benefit overall to doing that. There was no real benefit. So we already had a lot of really good intellectual property that we could leverage. And we decided to build that. We decided to leverage that to ensure that we can have a great rendering engine that to some extent also that we can make sure supports our customers. Um, now, the other part of that is it comes down to standards. You have to remember that in, uh, as part of the standards process, you want to have at least two reference implementations of most standards features before they actually become a standard. Uh, part of that process means that you want to have multiple rendering engines out there that will allow you to vet those features properly. A great example of this was when, um, when WebSockets was implemented. And a lot of, a lot of browsers rushed out to, to put in WebSockets. And shortly after, there was a security announcement that basically said, you should not use WebSockets, periodly, period. And in fact, it forced Mozilla to pull WebSockets support out of their browser. Think yeah, about that impact. That, yeah. Yeah. So think think about the impact of of that on your on you as a developer, and that's huge. You want to have multiple rendering engines and multiple browser implementations from different makers who can vet the actual things that you're implementing. So to me, I love the fact that you have WebKit, that you have Blink, that you have um, obviously you know Mozilla's rendering engine Gecko. And, um, and that you have um, uh, the new Edge, well, you have both Trident and you have Edge. It gives more surface area for features to be tested on to make sure that they are actually working as expected. And that we're doing, we're, we have plenty of use cases to vet them out. 
if you only have two people deciding, two companies deciding what the, the web is about, then who's going to define those standards? And that's, that's the key thing that a lot of people don't realize. If you, you know, a lot of people gripe at us and said, well, Microsoft was the 800-pound gorilla that controlled the Internet through Internet Explorer because they had 95% market share. Well, now we're at, a, we're at a point where we have multiple browsers out there, and, and there's, a, there's a balance, more of a balance in terms of overall browser share. To me, that's a good thing. Why would we want to go back to a WebKit-only world? That means that only one project would be defining what standards are. And yeah, there might be other people you know, putting in influence, but I don't want one rendering engine or one rendering engine project defining what the web means. I want multiple organizations, multiple individuals contributing to what the web means and helping define a really good web. So it's That's a kind of a help, uh, hel healthy competitive landscape or something like that. So it's part of that, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, definitely. But it's part of that, but it's also ensuring that you have multiple touch points and multiple people doing checks and balances. It's really important that if Google promotes a particular standard or a particular feature, that the folks at Mozilla and the folks at Microsoft have an opportunity to leverage their years of technical expertise and experience to say, does that feature make sense? Does it work the way that users are going to expect it to work? Is it something that we should be embracing? Not everything that Microsoft proposes or that Mozilla proposes or that Google proposes or that Apple proposes needs to be part of the web. And it's been proven over and over. And that's why, for example, we have things like attach event, and you know we had uh, Microsoft's own implementation of CSS filters and things like that that we don't we don't want to, uh, for lack of a better term, bastardize the web. And that's that's why the, having these multiple vendors and really savvy individuals and the W3C involved allows allows for accountability. That's the key thing. Before we go to the more discuss the things about standards, do you think that the new render engine that we develop will be open sourced? At the moment, there's no plans to open source it. Um, you know, there's there's so many changes going on at Microsoft that I never say never because I don't know. I, I don't know what the leadership team will decide to do. I never thought that we would see Office on an iPad. Um, I never thought I'd see so many uh, Microsoft applications on an Android device. So uh, I know that we have a lot of a lot of projects going into open source. We have a ton of GitHub accounts now that are there to, meant to support um, a lot of the open source efforts we're doing. But for the time being, our engine is is something that we're we want to get right. This is the first cut. That's the key thing to remember. A lot of people ask me, you know. Um, are we going to open source it? Are we going to go onto another platform? And the one thing I always tell them is that for the time being, we need to make sure that we get this browser right. This is a V1 for us. We need to put it out and make sure that it works well on, on Windows, the platform we know best. And then once we have it working, 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 what to do from there? Uh, do you still hear me, Ray? You got the funny noise again? 
Jesus, I, I don't, you know, I really don't know if it's Skype at this point. I don't know if it's my uh, machine or what it is. It's just the weirdest thing. Yeah. Uh, did, yeah. One, one interesting thing about what we talk about the, the open source part of it, maybe we should open source or maybe not. This is a modern app. So how, how is, uh, how is Edge written? What is, is the language? Is it C++ or is it C Sharp or .NET? Or uh, can you tell me a bit about the technical implementation? You know the the underlying technology. That's something that's that's beyond my knowledge. Simply because I'm not part of the engineering team. I do know that there's a lot of C++ under the hood. Uh, I know that the the browser itself is part of the continuum. I, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Continuum effort that we have. You know the the continuum app structure, which allows for uh, a modern app to be able to go across multiple form factors very easily. So. I don't know what language that the, the Chrome aspect of the browser was built. I know that a lot of the underlying technology of the rendering engine, of the networking stack, things like that, is C++. Okay, should we go to one of the elephant topics, I think, when you talk about the web today, and it's, of course, standards. And, and I remember around IA9, but it was when it was released, we always talk about we should follow standards and only standards and standards and standards and standards. And we thought that was a good thing, but other browsers uh, didn't do that and they maybe <laughs> got the bigger share at that time. So how should we, how should we uh, think about standards and new features and so on? Um. Well, I'm I'm not sure why what you mean by other browsers not following that. I'm assuming you mean some of the WebKit stuff that came out. Yeah, I mean that uh, they they was more inclined to to take uh, new features that uh, developers was really happy about, but it was not the standard. And then we got so why don't the Internet Explorer have this feature and so on? You know, it, it's it's a tough thing to, to manage because that's there's a combination of perception there. Um, and, and, and also the reality of not having every feature implemented, every feature that's actually in the standards process implemented. Um, the one thing that we've always tried to do, and we feel that this is a very important thing is be very methodical about the features that are put into, uh, the, the browser. And this is in Internet Explorer 9 through 11. And I know that carries forward in Microsoft Edge as well. Um, and I use WebSockets as a great example of that as well because, again, the fact that, that that was something that wasn't properly vetted caused a major, major security alert. And this was a security alert given out by U.S. CERT. This is, this is not, that's non-trivial. When you have a government agency saying you should, this is a security issue, that's, that's a red flag. And it was one of the reasons that we didn't want to implement WebSockets at that point because we wanted to have more time to vet it. Now, clearly, developers want the new shiny toy all the time. There's a, couple, there's a couple of types of developers when it comes to this. You have the developers who are clearly the early adopters. The, they push the boundaries. They push the, ed, the, 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 they push the edge of technology, and they want these new features because they, are, they, they understand what they're going to build, and they're going to create some really great things. And I understand that. That's, that's really – that's great, and those, but that's not the majority of developers. The majority of developers, um, they they use standards depending on what they're trying to build. 
or they'll use a feature depending if they really need it. But what what I noticed in many cases was, and this was actually through conversations, that I'd have a developer and comes up and says, well, you don't support this and this and this and why? And I'd ask them, well, what are you doing with that? And most of the time they'd say, well, I'm not using it. I just want to know that it's in there. So it was a check mark for them. And that's that's frustrating because how do you how do you try to counter that when it's more of a developer just wanting to say my browser supports it just in case I want to use it versus whether they actually have a use case for it. And so even on IE11, the number of developers that I that that I talk to that don't know that we support things like I don't know full screen API or that we we support Flexbox or that we support the file API or IndexedDB. It astounds me, and this is where I'm. This is where I go back to saying that we haven't done a good job of educating developers on the features that we've incorporated into our browser. So, from a web standards perspective, I think there, there's the other side of that is that the the way that the standards bodies decided to implement the features, or what I'm going to call experimental features. Um, was flawed, and you know what? Hindsight's twenty twenty. They what they did was it, it, they used prefixed vendor prefixes, which at that time seemed like a really solid idea, and I understand it. And if developers actually respected that the fact that those were experimental features, it probably would have worked. Unfortunately, what ended up happening was that developers didn't respect the fact that those were experimental features, and because they were in the browser and they could use it in production sites, they started leveraging it. That's why now on mobile, you're seeing you're seeing all types of difficulties because of Dash WebKit prefixes, where developers were leveraging these either proprietary features of WebKit or experimental features of WebKit, and then putting them into production systems. What that meant that is that any browser that wasn't WebKit-based was going to have a problem, and that included Mozilla, that included Opera before they they changed over to the Blink rendering engine. And it, of course, included Internet Explorer. And so you had these other vendors, and in that case, it, it included Apple and it included Google, who were, um, to some extent, they enabled that. And it's, they, I don't think they did it on purpose. It's just that it was part of that, and they never deprecated these features. And in fact, I've, I've spoken to people, and they basically said, we can't remove those because it'll break sites. So think about the fact that the premise of of Vendor prefixes was designed to be experimental features, and when those experimental features became standards, you were supposed to remove those vendor prefixes. You were supposed to deprecate them. And now you're caught in a situation where you can't do it because you know if you remove it from your browser, it will break sites. So it's a dual responsibility here. It's 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 developers. It, it's a flawed system, which again is hindsight's 2020. So I can't blame the W3C. Or the CSS working group for this, but it's but I can blame web developers who use these experimental features in production systems. That's not, that wasn't the right way of doing it. They and for all intents, I'm gonna you know I'll say it. They abused the system. Now what I do love is this, and Google actually proposed this first, and I'm very happy they proposed it because then we followed suit and so did Mozilla. They proposed to take all these experimental features and put them um, as checkboxes. In, um, in an about flags page. That means that developers can continue to test, but they explicitly have to go and enable these features for them to be able to use them. That's awesome. 
because now that can't be forced into a production site. That's great. Google, I, I love the fact that Google did that. And I love the fact that Mozilla and, um, and Microsoft followed suit on that. These new features that Firefox got one feature and then Chrome and then Internet Explorer, that, that, that was a, a thing, a, a competitive advantage. How do you think today uh, the different uh, web browsers will compete with each other? Well, uh, you know, they, they're always going to compete based on feature set. They're, everybody's going to try to come up with the next best feature. So we created, for example, the Pointer Events API, which is fantastic. It allows, you know, the, the ability to be able to manage both touch events and mouse events um, within a, a, a singular API. But now that's you're doing something gotta... that is not the standard then. No, we are doing something that's a standard. Actually, it is a W3C standard now. But let me, I'm going to get to that point. We, we came up with that as a feature and we put it through the standards process. And we actually vendor prefixed it to allow developers to use it. All right. And then Google, for example, has now created service workers, which is another great innovation. And um, they had it as an experimental feature for quite some time. And now it's actually rolling through the standards process as well. And, they, and it looks a little bit more like it's, um, it, it's, it's on a good path. So it feels like the browser makers are being a little bit more thoughtful about how they, they throw in features into the browser. So, um, can, can a browser vendor throw something in there and say, well, we think it's fine and do it and put it in there? Yeah. Google controls their browser. Mozilla controls their browser. Microsoft controls their browser, and so does Apple. So can tomorrow Apple decide that they want to throw in a feature that nobody else supports? Absolutely. Now, the bottom line is, will the other browser makers support that feature? That's going to be the decision. Will the developer community embrace that? If the developer community is truly about standards and the standards process, then they will have the final say in determining whether a feature will be adopted or not. And Pointer Events was a great example. Pointer Events, we had community support behind it. And that was a big deal. A unified model for managing touch and mouse. And the community wanted that. And in this specific example, Google said, we're not going to support it. Initially, they did say that we're going to support it. And then they backtracked and said, we're not going to support it. The community spoke. And Google actually said, all right, we're going to rethink this. And we're, going to, we're actually going to put it into our browser. So now you have three browsers, three high visibility browsers supporting pointer events. And so now it puts more pressure on Apple to actually consider that. And that's the way the standards process should work. It's not a matter of just throwing features in and, and saying, well, we're Google or we're Microsoft or we're Apple and we're going to do it. It's a matter of being thoughtful about the features and making sure they're useful. And of course, uh, we can always have features in the Chrome that are very different. I mean, uh, as uh, for example, to write on the on the web page and say that as a note and so on. So th these kind of features are also a part of this competitive landscape. Absolutely, and those are those are those are those are those are those are those are. Those are um, I don't like I don't want to compete on standards um, because I like standards to be well thought and I like to make sure that. Those features, because they're long-lived and because they affect so many browsers um, or they affect so many developers and so many users and, and they're across browsers, I want standards to be 
well thought out and I want them to be properly vetted. Now, the way that you differentiate yourself within the Chrome itself, hey, that's free game. A great example is Mozilla when they they were they were the first I think they were the first to come out with extensions or what they called Firefox add-ons. That was a big differentiator. And then look, Chrome of course saw that they needed to have that and they created their own ecosystem, but they took it to a different route and they said, "All right, instead of allowing binary components into that, we're going to allow these web developers to leverage their web technologies, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to quickly build these extensions." That allowed them to quickly um, quickly increase the number of extensions available on their browser because it's, it, was, it was just so easy to create a Google extension. But it was a differentiator. And one of the things, for example, that I, that I thought was very smart of Google was to also incorporate their, the, the ability to log in to their service directly from within the browser. Why? Because now things like your bookmarks, the extensions that you use, your site history and all that, that's all saved in a central place, which means that if you load Google Chrome on another device and you log in to Google Chrome, all that stuff comes back immediately. What did that do? It, it prompted Mozilla to come up with their sync technology, which essentially does the same thing. And if you look at Microsoft, Microsoft is trying to do the same thing where you have roaming settings across the board. But that's, a, that's what I call a browser differentiator. That's not standards. That has nothing to do with the underlying you know, rendering engine. That Those are differentiators meant specifically for the user experience. And that's awesome. And that's the way that browsers should compete on. I, I really think that's where the competition should lie. So uh, we're, I think we're, you know, we're doing a good job of that. We're trying to add some compelling features. And look, we're coming up with an extension model as well, which is great. Should we talk a bit about more features now uh, for developers? And first, uh, can we take uh, the the bad news? Is it any features that you that has disappeared that you think are a bit sad anyway that they have that they are not in in Edge? No, but actually, I I don't. No, no, not at all. I don't think there's any features in there that make me or any lack of features that make me sad because I know that. The features that were removed were features that, in my opinion, were were things that were preventing us from having a really good compatible experience. So a lot of developers were were upset when in IE10 we removed uh, conditional comments. You know what? It was the best thing that could have happened because conditional comments enabled developers to to really have bad practices. Um, you shouldn't be focused on which browser version you're using. That's a last, you shouldn't do, do any type of UA sniffing unless you absolutely have to. That is the last resort. And I know that there's edge cases where you absolutely have to do UA sniffing. I've spoken to top properties, high, you know, big name properties where they, they see all types of things. And so I know that in certain cases you have to do that. But for the most part, you shouldn't have to worry about the specific browser version you, you're on. And that's where why we promoted feature testing for so long. Because if you're testing for features, you can make a decision of how to actually um, develop your system. If you're developing for progressive enhancement, you should be able to gracefully degrade with no problems. So I don't see any features that are missing. If anything, to me, Microsoft Edge is great because not only does it incorporate all the standards-based features 
that we've had in Internet Explorer before that, but now it's giving it's the the new runway for developing again for all the new things that we want to produce. But if I, if I ask you this way instead, do you think that it's, it is some feature that many developers will will um, uh, be sad about that it, it, that only used Internet Explorer before to, to do some kind of, for example, internal company, intra, infrastructure, uh, internal sites and so on, that they will miss in Edge? For example, we don't not, have... I have... Yeah, go ahead. Now, go ahead. We, we don't have support for Silverlight, for example, in Edge or... You know what? It's, it's I've never used Silverlight, so I can't say I can't talk to whether developers will miss it or not. I haven't heard um, I haven't heard developers come to me and say I'm going to miss Silverlight. I haven't heard developers come to me and say I'm going to miss uh, ActiveX controls. Uh, I, I just maybe in Korea. That. And maybe in Korea, I think actually in Korea, I would probably bet the developers are probably saying, "God, I wish ActiveX controls would go away." <laughs> so uh, no, and 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 seriously, I don't think I don't think web developers in Korea really want to use ActiveX controls, and that's solely a government mandate. It's not like there's a proliferation of that. Um, the the key thing that developers want is a solid standards-based browser. And the, the biggest request that we're getting is the extensions model. They want to be able to create extensions for Microsoft Edge because developers really didn't want to build ActiveX controls. It's not, you know, building an ActiveX control is non-trivial. Building a BHO or a toolbar is non-trivial. And developers really didn't want to do that. They want to have a more normalized extension model, you know, analogous to what Firefox and Chrome has. And I understand that. So... I, I haven't heard of anything that developers, at least in, from, to me, have come and said, man, I'm going to miss this in IE because we're taking all the best parts of IE um, from a standards-based perspective, and we're bringing that forward. All these other differentiator features, like, I don't know, web slices, remember web slices? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or pin sites, nobody's come to me and said, man, I, I really need that. So... I, I think we're in a good spot. Okay, should we take the good news now? Uh, what what kind of new features uh, can we expect to use in Edge? Um, of course, uh, this, this is a modern standard-based web browser, but do we have any features that uh, the developers will uh, really like in, in our product, in Edge? Um, you know, the, the, the browser itself is, if you really think about it, it's going to be, it's going to be substantially. I think I lost you. I... No, I'm here. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought I lost you for a second. So the browser is basically revamped. So you're going to have a brand new Chrome. It's going to be substantially faster. Um, and, and that obviously, from a performance perspective, developers are going to be happy about that. The Chakra JavaScript engine has been greatly improved, where we're having fantastic results. So that means that you're going to have uh, faster, faster processing of your JavaScript code which is obviously critically important to building solid apps. Um, and the features that we're incorporating in there, things like uh, we're already talking about incorporating ORTC, so you can have WebRTC-based communication and things like that. That's what's exciting to developers right now. The other features that are coming into there are things like you know, the ability to create a, a web node or right on the screen. Those are, those are again, our differentiators. Until we have APIs available to them for, for developers, 
that's not what the developers are excited about. Those are, I consider them more consumer focused features, which are differentiators. And yeah, clearly I've seen a lot of great feedback on that. Developers, they're not, they're not focused on that. They're trying to figure out what are the great features that are going to be included in Microsoft Edge that's going to make, make their lives a lot easier. Uh, so, so you will say that in in the future we can, uh, as developers, uh, uh, record the data when when uh, when a user uses the pen and writes something on the on the page. I'm saying that there's no API right now, so I don't know if that's even going to be possible in the future. Mm, okay. Until that, until we say there's going to be an API available for for that, I don't know. Mm. When you go ahead and you scribble something, you say I'm going to create a web note and you're going to save it out, let's say into OneNote. That's just part of the that's part of the browser experience. That's not something that um, I've been told, at least, that a web developer can have access to. I think if we expose APIs down the road, that could be an exciting experience. That could be something that maybe extension developers could make create whole new experiences around. But that's not something that currently web developers can take advantage of. Mm. So. To me, I think what they're going to be excited about is things like, I don't know, uh, the new ES6 features that we, we're adding in there, uh, the Media Capture API, which is you know, the, the ground floor to allowing WebRTC 1.1, which is called ORTC communications, things like that, which are kind of exciting. How about security? What do you say? Of it, course, you said this is the most secure web browser out there. But is um, it I don't difference? want to say that. Okay. You know what? Here's the thing. Every web browser it has security issues. There's and every piece of software out there on the internet has security issues. So I will never say that our browser is the most secure uh, because I say it today and tomorrow it gets you know somebody finds a flaw. It is what it is. That's just the nature of the internet and there's there's always going to be people trying to poke holes in anything that you produce. So I think from a security perspective. I do know that the IE team has done really a really good job of trying to secure the browser itself. Um, everything from auditing the code to adding features um, that sandbox things better. Uh, look, we've we've added CSP content security policy. There's a lot of things that we we consider, including even the smart screen filter to make sure that when you download something, that we can kind of provide you with a preventative measure to make sure that uh, you don't download something from a malware site. There's a lot of things that we do to make sure that the browser is secure, but inevitably, if you have somebody who has a lot of time and resources, they're going to poke holes in it. And this is across the board. This is the problem that every browser maker experiences, and this is why we have updates to software. Uh, with security, uh, to to uh, to fix that is of course how uh, how often uh, a web browser can be updated. C- could you be tell us about the update process? How will it look like? How often will it be, and so on? You know, the uh, the unfortunate part is I can't tell you how that's going to look like because we haven't we haven't really p- publicly announced that yet. So I, I don't have the insight to tell you what the cadence is going to be or. Um, you know, that's, I think a lot of developers and a lot of users want to know that they want to know how frequently is going to be updated. The key thing is that we've, we've committed to making this, um, a browser and even an OS that updates regularly. This is not going to be something that takes a year or two years to update now. There's no way. And even, and the other part of that, from a security perspective, it's interesting that you mentioned the update cycle. 
because every month um, Microsoft releases security updates. It's called Patch Tuesday. And if you look at that, in most cases, there are patches to the browser. So the Microsoft does take patching security seriously. The difference between patching a browser like Chrome or Firefox, which is basically, they're basically insulated, laded completely, um, versus patching a browser like Internet Explorer, which um, requires a lot more vetting to make sure that it doesn't break a whole bunch of other things. That's, that's the hard part for Microsoft. But even with that, look, every, every month we produce updates. And in really critical situations, we do out-of-band updates to make, sure that, um, to make sure that Windows users and Internet Explorer users are protected. Great. So uh, we have talked a rather a long time and it's really interesting and we have some difficulties here. Uh, my listeners has maybe hear some difficulties when, uh, when they have listened to this. Uh, how should I start uh, understanding Edge? How should I uh, approach the new browser? What, what kind of resources and what kind of help do we have already now? Great question. So if you're a web developer, the first thing that you want to do is is get you want to get Windows 10. And one of the things that we created was the opportunity for people to evaluate Windows 10 during the beta cycle. So you can go to insider.windows.com and you can download the ISO from there. And what that does is it gives you access to the the newest browser and allows you to start testing your site to make sure that your site's going to render properly and it's going to render the way you expect it. And in most cases it is because we've really focused heavily on compatibility and interoperability with modern standards. But nonetheless, we want to make sure the developers have access to it because whether you're testing on Chrome or Firefox, you know, Safari, Internet Explorer, or Microsoft Edge, every browser is going to have their own nuance and you have to make sure that your site works properly across all the browsers. That's just normal cross-browser development, but we want to make sure that's available. The other thing that you can do to get up-to-date information is to go to dev.modern.ie.com. And that's the new Microsoft Edge dev portal, and that's where we're going to be publishing a lot of new information about the browser, best practices, uh, relevant information for compatibility. Uh, we also have... Uh, on their tools that make your testing substantially easier. So tools like the virtual machines for every version of Internet Explorer and soon Microsoft Edge. So you can download these for free. They're, uh, they're, the usage is 90 days, but you have a lot. You have a full-blown browser available to you uh, within a VM. And then we also have Remote IE, which allows you to create a virtualized version of Internet Explorer uh, on your desktop. And so, for example, I at my main machine at Microsoft is a MacBook. So to me, having remote IE allows me to create a virtualized version of IE and test my, my workout, and it's great. Uh, there's also site scanning tools. Um, and I would also recommend other tools like BrowserStack or Sauce Labs because they have tools that allow you to test multiple browsers. Uh, and it's not only IE. It's you know all the major browsers across different versions of operating systems. So if I was going to give you uh, one central resource where you should go for everything related to Microsoft Edge from a developer perspective, I would say go to dev.modern.ie. 
And that again is the Microsoft Edge Dev Portal. And that's where all the, the really great information is, is going to be. It also provides developers with access to uh, the roadmap so they can see where the, the features are within our development process. So uh, if you were, you were wondering whether we were going to include, let's say, I don't know, Asm.js, well, you can go to the roadmap and see where we're at with Asm.js. Asm uh, the same with anything from ES6 features to, I don't know, generators, uh, HTTP2, all these different features that, that developers are interested in and are wondering, are we going to include it into our product? And of course, we have some user voice or something so we can vote on different features. You hit it right on the head. So that's where we're trying to give uh, the community an opportunity to uh, to kind of use a voting system to boost up the things that are important to them. And it's uservoice.modern.ie, and you go there and you you look for the feature that's really important to you and you get to vote it up or it, you can make a recommendation for a feature that you think is incredibly important. Great. Thank you very much, Ray. It was really great to, to get the, um, a full view on Microsoft Edge that I said in, in, in the beginning that uh, the, the most the things I've heard about Microsoft Edge has been from more a consumer perspective. So this is really great to have more of a developer-orienting perspective for, for, for this. And I really um, are waiting on, on Edge. I, of course, use it on my Windows 10 machine, but to see it in, in full-blown action will be really great this autumn. I think a lot of people are going to be very excited about it as well. It's it's such a departure from our uh, from our older versions of Internet Explorer. Um, and the great thing is that we're 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 leveraging the great stuff that was in Internet Explorer 11, which is is still a an excellent browser, and we're bringing that over into a brand new brand new browser that basically will continue to be updated on a regular basis. It's it. I'm very excited about that, and I think that's a whole new world right there for us. Yeah, and thank you very much, Ray, and have a really, really great summer and a bit colder in uh, your area. Thank you, Doug. 